0: brand. So you become less and less engaged with the brand. And we basically estimate a model of how fast that energy dissipates. Then you engage with the brand again, like you got another pulse. So what it's doing is for every single user, it's estimating that decay rate. That's how it works.
1: Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host Nick Frederick. With me today is Brian Eberman, who is the CEO of Zinc. Brian, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. Great to meet you.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to dive in here today and talk about data and analytics, something that's very near and dear to my heart, been a big part of my career and of course is very important to subscription-based companies as they evaluate where to spend marketing dollars and how to retain customers, but Let's start with the beginning here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to found the company.
0: Yeah, so thank you. I started this company a little more than a year ago, or came to the company a little more than a year ago, and I have a deep analytics and data science and AI background. Uh, I've actually been running companies in the marketing analytics or data-driven companies for 16 years and been involved in data-driven and AI-driven companies for over 30 years uh, after getting my PhD in AI and robotics. So I really love data, really love analytics. I can go very deep, but we'll try and keep it actionable for uh, your customers, for your listeners. Well, well,
1: tell us a little bit about yeah, the Zinc platform.
0: So the way I came to this company is, yeah, you know, I did about Zinc and how I came to Zinc. So I came to the company from another company called Thrasio. Thrasio is the largest aggregator of Amazon brands around that raised about $3 billion, bought 300 different brands on the Amazon and Shopify side. A wide range of products across many, many, many industries. And I was consulting there as an executive consultant, technology and product from late 2020 until I joined Think. And what we saw consistently as we engaged in these, with these companies, they were selling to companies like Therazio and their ilk because it was just becoming a real struggle to manage the amount of data that they had to manage in order to grow the business. And a lot of these companies were between a million and $20 million of revenue they'd found a really interesting product they'd sold it through various channels both amazon and direct to consumer really loved being product people but as they had to know more and more about marketing and more and more about analytics and really grow a bigger team it became a real challenge and so they end up selling to these aggregators i think this was driving the whole aggregator business so we found an opportunity it was like well it seems like there really ought to be really easy to use but really powerful analytics tool that's easy inexpensive, powerful, that these guys could use to scale their business. And we, Thrasio ended up investing in the company to found the company, and we ended up taking the technology from a company called Nanigans, Nanigans was the leading social advertising company out there from 2010 to 2020, and repurposing it into the e-commerce space. And we just have a really, really rich history of deep, deep data science in the advertising space, business intelligence in in the advertising space. And it was really a great set of people and technology to apply to this problem.
1: Okay, walk us through some use cases, like tell us about your typical client and what they're using the platform for.
0: Yeah, so our typical client, and actually maybe I'll just talk about a prospect I just talked to, which is actually not our typical, but it's a really interesting case. Let me start with the typical one and then we'll talk about the prospect. 'Cause I think it's all over the place, the people that could use this kind of technology. So the typical problem is a company is selling something on an e commerce platform. You know, we started on Shopify but now support multiple e commerce platforms. And you know, maybe they sell most of them at that kind of scale sell ten to twenty different products, right? Maybe they sell a few more, but they're not selling hundreds of products. And they've gotten to the point where they're on multiple advertising channels. They're on almost certainly on Google and Facebook. They may also be on TikTok. If they're in fashion, they're on Pinterest. They're doing some kind of retention marketing on Klaviyo, Attentive, maybe something else. Those are the the dominant ones we see. And the questions become really the basic questions you need to run your business, but have to be answered at a very granular level. How much am I spending? Where am I spending it? What's it worth to me to spend that money? Should I spend more here or there? And who are these customers? So the lens we take to this whole thing is, there's a lot of companies that just do straight up, we provide reporting against that. We grab the data from all those sources. We grab the data from the um, from your orders, right? If it's Shopify, we get it from Shopify. If it's something else, we get it from an order file. And we pull it all together to you in a actual analytics package that basically lets you look at your data as if you were in a giant pivot table, right? And you can look at it any way you want. But the place we, so first place we add value is we give you the power to look at it however you want. And we find that different marketing teams want to look at things. And different at, like finance teams want to look at things in different ways than you might have in a package report. Second thing we do that's really different is everybody has other data that they need to append to the data you can get from the channels. And it's all different. For a big company like Thrasio, it's the brand, the cogs, it's the manager of the group, it's the manager of the, what brands are in a group. For a small company, it might be the return rate, it might be the geo. I talked to a large company the other day. It was like, well, my cogs, I have to pay a fee to my local retailers based on their zip code. So I need to put that computation into my cogs. Can you do that? I'm like, yes, we can do that. So the next place we really add value is we have basically a low code, no code platform at which people can extend the metrics and add data easily into the platform that isn't coming from the channels. And the last thing, which really is relevant to your subscription folks, probably more than anything, and to most companies more than anything, is we take what we call a customer-centric view of the world. Ultimately, this Peter, Professor Peter Fader at Wharton wrote a book called Customer-Centric Analytics or Customer-Centric Approach, and he's been very famous in this space, teaching at Wharton, talking about, look, a company really is its customers, and different customers are worth different amounts. And it's not like you want to get rid of your poor customers, but what you want to do is align your cost structure to the value of your customer. And you want to focus your efforts on the most valuable customers. And if you're going to you treat your lower level, your less valuable customers with less, with less cost. And in these e-commerce companies, what is cost? Cost, 40% of it is advertising. So advertising often for most of these companies is 40% of their revenue. Next cost is, you know, cogs, obviously, but that doesn't matter on the customer and the customer service, right? Retention. So we have a technology based on our long history. Company's only a year old. We have much, much, much longer history of technology where we can build models of the value of each customer, each individual customer projected forward, and then also compute what they actually cost you to get and the thing that's super interesting when we do this for companies the cost of acquisition and the cost and the values can be two orders of magnitude different you can have a company that's it costs you five ten bucks to get that customer and it might have cost you 200. same thing they might be worth 20 bucks they may be worth 400 bucks but the two aren't aligned i have yet to see you know one of our goals with customers is to align those two things you spend more to get more value right now mostly we see complete lack of alignment they're spending very little and they're getting not very much value customers and very valuable. And the same thing, they're spending a ton and getting customers they really shouldn't have gotten and, and then the other one. So it's like they're just completely uncorrelated to take the statistical term. And so that I think is really important. And in the analysis we've done on a number of companies is like 30% of their revenue could be regained. These are not small numbers. We're not talking about 5%, 2% here or there. If you could get perfect alignment, which I'm not promising, I don't think it's possible. But the effect is the amount you're missing, right? If you can even get a half of it back, you could lift your growth problems by
1: 15%. You were talking a second ago about, about doing this at a very granular level. Is that saying that you're going down to evaluating that on each individual customer?
0: Yes, we go down to each individual customer and we can do it for different kinds of companies. Basically, you know, In many ways, there's sort of four kinds of companies out there, maybe five that we see. Right? and we have different models for different kinds of companies. There are companies that sell, I know you're focused on subscriptions, so I'll get back to that, but there are companies that basically sell the product to a customer once. right? And there are a lot of those on Shopify. And for them, the lifetime value of the customer doesn't really matter. What matters is the cost of acquisition. So aligning cost of acquisition with AOV is really, really important. And here you really want to know which audiences have the best return on investment. The second kind I would call the multi-purchase. They tend to be in the beverage, food, fashion, personal care, you know, things that are consumable or only used for a little while. But they may not be subscription businesses because they're not fixed velocity kinds of, of products where you, you need to get get it back again at the same time. In there, we have very strong models of if you've bought twice, exactly what you're gonna be worth. And it's the same thing now, lifetime value matters. You wanna take the AOV, the average order value, or the value that that, cost, that individual produced for you so far and add to it the amount they're likely to produce over the next 12 months and compare that to what it actually costs you to get them and then build audiences based on that return on investment. Then you have subscription companies and subscription companies are really interesting. We have models for subscription companies because it's not about like, you know what they're worth, sort of. You don't really be like, okay, I know what the contract is. I know what they're supposed to buy. But what you don't know it's the cancellation like what are your cancellation terms and a lot of these things are month to month with the right to delay or pause so we really look at on on subscription businesses early indicators of churn what is the likelihood that this customer is going to disappear and it's not. and we look at it at the individual basis it's not what it's what you'd expect if i'm not going to the gym anymore i'm likely to pause it if i pause it i'm likely to cancel it. Same thing like if I'm buying food on a monthly basis and I'm constantly delaying the delivery, probably shifting away from you. Same thing with emails. Like if I'm sending you emails and you aren't reading a single one of them or even opening them, you really aren't engaged with my brand anymore. So we use all those as signals in an artificial intelligence. what's called a boost, a deep learning technique to, to figure out whether you're likely to churn and then we use that to compute your value. And then the final, then there are mixed subscription, single purchase or multi-purchase companies. And those are really the most interesting in some ways, most complicated. We have a really big one coming on that we're really looking forward to modeling out. This is one where you buy a subscription to get a discount on the purchase, but you still have to purchase. Because the purchase is so expensive relative to the subscription, but you want to know that the person's really loyal to you. So you sell them the subscription, which gives you the right to market to them and engage with them. So that's why you see it. So we're doing a $200 million company in that space gonna model out their churn and their lifetime value. And then we have their CACs um, so that they can build up to a ROAS based bidding model to really grow this thing up another hundred million.
1: A case study I read recently was, I don't think this is who you're talking about, but was Restoration Hardware and this membership club that they've got that you can subscribe to. And turns out like 90% of their sales are coming from those members. So they are getting seeing tremendous value out of kind of that mix. join the club just to get access to benefits, early purchases, discounts, and things that other members can't, right? It's kind of putting you in that, into that exclusive club. Is this a similar type to what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a not a retailer, actually. It's a service provider. But I mean, BJ's Wholesale, also not our target customer here, but very similar, right? They pioneered that many, many years ago where you had to be a member of BJ's Wholesale. And uh, pay them a fee in order to get the discounted food and, and stuff you can buy at BJ's. And it gave them a right to engage and then you were more open to en- open all their emails and messages because you were paying them. Right. Yeah.
1: In that particular type of bottle, I think the incentive, the consumer incentive there is so interesting. I mean, we've had loyalty programs forever, right? Free loyalty programs where it's just, you know, purchase so much and then you might get a discount or something like that. But that and if you want to call this paid loyalty, I guess you can. But like these paid membership programs that really in and of themselves might not have a whole lot associated with them. Like you might join this and then if you don't use it to buy anything, you're not really getting any value out of it. But I think what that does to the consumer, right, is now they're heavily incentivized to, to your point, open the emails, walk in the store, make purchases because they're like, I paid for this over here. I need to try to extract more value out of it, right?
0: Right. You appear top of mind when they need to make a comparative decision on something they could buy either their place. Exactly. You know, and you can expect we're going off topic here quite a bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the next move Shopify makes with their shipping, right? I mean, they're going to offer Shopify Prime. They have to.
1: When you're doing all of this journey and modeling out for your clients, what other data are you using? Are you staying within the client's data or are you supplementing in external sources? I mean, how do you get to a model that's tailored for them?
0: Yep. No, we're sticking to first party data. We're very concerned about user privacy. So the sources of data are, there's really four. First and foremost, the order file from, data from the customer. They're using an e-commerce platform that would come from the e-commerce platform, which would be the orders and the users, right? And you can get a lot of data about the users from the e-commerce platform. We keep that very private, we keep it secure. We're GDPR compliant, all those sorts of things. And we've run really large companies in the past on the previous company. Then all the advertising sources, So we have to get all the cost data somewhere and we get it from the actual advertising platforms. That's two. The third one is we stitch it together with a first party pixel and we believe strongly that all companies should have access to all the information about the clicks that are over on their site and every click that ever happened, right? And they shouldn't have to pay big bucks to get that from an aggregate, from a porting analytics tool. So we provide a first party pixel, links the UTM codes from the advertising to the actual traffic and experience on your website. We give full access to that, to the customer so that they can explore. They can do things we don't do, which is like path optimization and page optimization. We don't do that. And then lastly, the company can send us other data they might have. They might have data on their users that's not in the order file. They might have information about the COGS, the return rates, the servicing costs, the competitive landscape. We don't really care because our model is such that we can flexibly add any data about a user or any data tied to a purchase into our system and report on it and use it in our analytics. We don't have to do a big BI project to pull this in. You just give us a spreadsheet, boom, it appears. It's really that simple. Gotcha. So
1: then does that mean, because the data might be a little bit different for everybody, does every client get their own model? And do you have to go through kind of an onboarding process or? a configuration process to develop the model for them specifically?
0: Everybody gets their own results. There are four or five types of models, right? I said there were four or five types of businesses. So we have model types for each one. Even though each company, like, let's take orders. So if it's from Shopify, there's a standard format from Shopify, right? If it's not Shopify, we basically say, this is our order file structure. It's modeled on Shopify. You need to give the data to us in this format. If you're commerce, you're Salesforce, we're probably going to do an adapter for you and just pull it. But orders are orders, right? I mean, basically, it's like there's a transaction ID, there's a user ID, there's a SKU, there's a price, there's a discount, there's a tax. So we, they all look the same at that level. Subscription versus non-subscription is the only real variable that comes in in terms of pulling that apart as a pure data feed. because. Subscription. You made an order, and we may never see the next order on Shopify, but we know it's a subscription. It depends on what platform you used whether we see it. So that's the only real big difference there. And then on the outside, the ads are the ads. Facebook ads are Facebook ads. TikTok ads are TikTok ads. It doesn't matter what you're selling. We see the data the same way. So we end up giving them right now. If you're one of the basic model types, customer types, unless you have something really off, like you really just want lead value or you want, yeah, leads are probably we don't do leads today. We could do leads. We can turn it around basically in a day once we have all the data. And then is that,
1: once you've set up all of these pipes, right, then your clients are getting refreshed up-to-date data on an ongoing basis?
0: Every day. The computers run it every day. You get fresh data every day. And then you can choose how you're going to use it to segment your audiences, to use it for messaging and retargeting on Klaviyo or Attentive or whatever platform you happen to be using or whether you're gonna use that to create audiences on Facebook and Google, both positive and negative, and how you're gonna tie it into your marketing. We make recommendations about this. A lot of very highly experienced marketing people here. We don't do it. We do have some agencies we work with, and we're always trying to grow that list, but we will make recommendations, we'll provide training, but we don't actually do the, we will not do the work.
1: So then walk, you were kind of touching out a little bit right there, but your users might be the marketing department, right? Could be the finance department. Who else benefits from this data?
0: Well, let me actually jump to that prospect cuz that's actually a really good segue to this like marketing so marketing's our major user. So marketing and agencies are the major user right now. But I had a call this morning with a finance an FP&A person. And this was an FP&A person for hire, basically. Does it for a bunch of D2C firms or e-commerce firms. And it's not a surprising question, which is what is my revenue going to be in the next 6 months? What's it gonna be by product? How many of those products am I gonna sell? What does that mean about my inventory stockouts and inventory repurchase rates that I have to get to maximize my turns? Because if I don't maximize my turns, I'm not maximizing my use of capital. So this person I spoke to is like, you know, I need a platform that pulls all the data from all the different channels. I need to be able to augment it with a bunch of different rules that I know, and they have to be different for different customers. I need to be able to dump the data and the computations that came out into my giant spreadsheets I use for doing projections at long scale. And yeah, it'd be great to be able to do it at the customer level because I want to know how many purchases the existing base is going to make over the next six months, and then I can tack and I and what products they're going to buy. And then I want to tack on to that what I think will happen out of the advertising, new additions, so I can project total revenue by product by month, so I can compute available inventory. So that is a very clear use case. Another really interesting use case, because we analyze the lifetime value at the user level and we have information about the users, what products they bought, what sequence products they bought, when they bought them, where are they from, maybe you have demographic data you gave us, right, we didn't pull it, whatever you gave us. We can slice the model, it's called conditioning in the statistical sense, against any of those things. They're called covariates. Like you wanna know how many, What products and what value women in Minnesota are worth? No problem. So this becomes really interesting at the marketing writ large, the product level of marketing. Which products am I selling where? What does that imply about my promotional efforts and the products I should position on my website? So an interesting insight we gave one company was, the product that's worth the most to you is the one you're selling the least. You really ought to change your marketing mix.
1: (laughs) here's a recommendation <laughs> sell that one
0: yeah or like another company was like why is that product still on your website just sell it on amazon you're losing money every time you sell that product he loves analysis at the product level but it's done by looking at the customer lifetime value and the character of getting them and then the value being produced on that product and saying well the people who bought that product cost you more to get than you're getting back you should turn it off so you can do that kind of analysis and then this lens of return on investment on a on a customer level is something we're going to roll out more generally, basically because you should really use it to analyze anything, right? You should say, what's the value of that discount? Did it move it up or down? What was the value of that set of of that marketing program I put together? Did it move the whole set up or down? Of the people exposed to it, were they worth more to me than the ones they didn't expose it to? At a ROAS basis, right? Because that's what's really driving your business in the end, is the difference is the net contribution profit after you take revenue minus cogs, minus shipping, times returns, minus cost of acquisition. If that's not as maximal as you can get it, you're not a great business. What
1: about the what-if scenarios? Like, do you have the ability to say, well, if I kind of focus more over here, what does this look like over time?
0: Yeah, we haven't built that out yet, but we've actually been talking about that quite a bit. I think that's a really powerful thing. So we give customers a churn versus value graph by customer. This customer is at 60% likely to churn and they're worth 10 bucks, whatever, customer by customer. So the obvious what if is, if I could bend that curve by this much, how much is that worth to me over the next three months? If I could reduce my churn at the low end by 5%, if I could reduce my churn by 5% relative across the board, what does that do to my bottom line over the next three months? Definitely have the data to do that analysis. We haven't done it yet, but we're, we're thinking about it same thing. Like if I shifted my mix of advertisements and everything else stayed the same, what would happen? When we have done that, uh, this is sort of off. you know, maybe this matters. I actually have one subscription company that sells on both Amazon and direct-to-consumer. They do it in a very interesting way. But the thing we've done with those kinds of companies that are on both channels is, is it positive or negative to have it on Amazon, right? That's often a question DDCs have. And how much is my direct consumer marketing driving my Amazon sales, and it typically is a very a lot by the way, so we can measure that we can do a pretty good measurement of what that actually is, and then you can factor that into your return on investment on your direct to consumer spend. It can be as much as fifty percent of your facebook i 've seen numbers that big is is actually being returned on sales on Amazon
1: yeah, is that looking at showing an ad to somebody and then
0: it depends on your product it Depends on your product obviously
1: yeah it's just that's an interesting
0: yeah i mean what's happening the way we look at it it depends on your product i mean there are not a lot of subscription companies that are doing amazon but what we see is that it's what you'd expect i get an impression of the ad it describes an offer that makes sense to me at the moment it looks interesting i have i'm amazon prime because a huge fraction of people are or they're like well i want to investigate this product they go to amazon and what we see is a direct correlation of your impressions and your searches on your organic, on your branded terms. And we can line them up. And we're like, this many sales on your branded terms is actually coming from your direct to consumer advertising. Amazing.
1: I mean, that just adds more value to it, right? But how do you measure that?
0: Well, the way we do that is what's called uh, media mix modeling. It's the only way you can really do it. So we build a correlative model between the impressions, it's a deep learning kind of model but between the impressions that you're running on your ad channel and impressions, searches, and the sales on the Amazon side. You don't do it at the keyword level. It has to be done at a very fine grain level and then rolled up.
1: You mentioned churn there, which is something we talk about on here all of the time. And typically for subscription companies is simply defined as a subscriber that cancels, right? A customer that you know that you have, that you know you don't have anymore because they've canceled and aren't paying you anymore. When For those that are looking at some of these mixed models that we've been talking about, I mean, how for a retailer or somebody in a transactional model, how would you define it there?
0: So what we're doing on churn is we're always trying to estimate the probability that you're still a customer. So if you're a multi-buy retailer, like let's suppose you're a personal care product. You bought it, you bought the product, or you bought a product from the brand. The question is, are you going to buy another product from the brand? We also just talked about whether it's not guaranteed you're going to buy the subscription. So what we do is we look across all the orders that have happened across all the customers. And we build a model that predicts for every individual what the likelihood is that you're gonna buy again by trying to get a best fitting model across all of them that estimates the future revenue. That what's called the regressor is the prediction of future revenue, right? We can also do prediction of match of who's gonna stay in that So It's very good at financial modeling. And basically what it does is it says, every time you interact with a brand, you're engaged with the brand. So I get you this spike of energy, if you will. Brands, so you become less and less engaged with the brand, and we basically estimate a model of how fast that energy dissipates. Then you engage with the brand again, like you got another pulse. So what it's doing is for every single user, it's estimating that decay rate. That's how it works. And then you match that with what the the distribution of value is likely to be right on the next purchase against that kind of customer, and you get a lifetime value. In the, does that make sense at a high level? On a subscription basis, as long as you know what the contract is, you know what the contract value is, and you know what the period is supposed to be, so you know what the hit of revenue is supposed to be, when it's supposed to hit, what you have to know is whether they can delay or cancel, and what we're trying to do there is estimate whether they're going to do it, and therefore basically stop being your customer, and we're trying to give that to you in the window that matters, which is, you bought, are you going to buy again, are you going to cancel in that period?
1: Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of different ways to look at that. You can look at kind of, of course, the products that your customers have bought, but you can look at maybe the billing frequencies that they signed up for. And and I tend to look at things from the billing side, the payments data, because that can tell you a lot as far as how a subscription company is likely to, to keep or lose customers. But what other ways can, if you're not looking at that data, can you put the customers together and say, if I look at this, is it demographic, is it gender, is it location, or is it kind of a combination of all of those things wherever you can find a trend?
0: Kind of a combination of all the, I mean, it's really, you've got interactions on the website, right? Did they come back? How long were they there? What pages did they go to? Your email interactions, did they open? Did they read? Did they leave it open? Did they click through? But you're going to see that on the website. Did they change the delivery? So that's going to cause an arrival and a change. And then we have all the user data. So that's used as a part of the correlate too. Like what device are they on? Where do they live? What did you tell us about the user? So when we build the model, we're like, okay, we're going to try and make people behave the same who are from the same look the same. And that's what they, the models do. Talk us through just at
1: a high level, what does your process look like? If somebody says, I don't have insights into this data, I don't know where I'm making money and, and where I'm losing it or where I should make more marketing investment. For an average, if there is one client or merchant that comes to you, what does that process look like?
0: It's quite simple to get going. So they come to us, usually we give them a demo of the tool. They reach out to us and As for demo, we give them a demo of the tool. It's usually a 30-minute, 45-minute meeting. Talked about what their problems are, what they're trying to optimize, how they think about their users, what they already know about their business, what the core features are, what channels they're on, right? Make sure there's a match. Then if they say, yeah, I really want to use this, the next step is they sign up. We sell on a per-seat basis. So it's a very, for the initial engagement, it's a per-seat basis. It's a very inexpensive model because we're building a HubSpot-like business here. Then we have an activation meeting. Takes usually 30 45 minutes. We make sure we work with them to activate all the channels, talk to them about how they can send us the augmentation data, ask them to set up the pixel. We demonstrate how we do it, talk to them about adding UTM parameters to their advertising, show them how to do that, and show them how, what kind of files they need to send to send the augmentation data. So that's sort of the training. And typically, it takes, unfortunately, I mean, the current challenge for us is it does take these marketing and development teams typically anywhere from a week to four weeks, to do what is really a day's worth of work or less to modify the UTM parameters and to put the pixel in place. So once it's all done, like once the shop, if you're Shopify or something else, you start giving us orders, we'll give you customer lifetime value and churn models the next day, pretty much. Like, unless you have something unusual, it'll be very quick. If you want to add the cogs in, like we just need the data in that spreadsheet, it'll immediately drop into our models. It's fine. Takes no time at all to, to put that in and you will be able to see it in your reports and in the models. And then if you want cost of acquisition, it depends on your consideration period because we can't really give you cost of acquisition because that I can't pull historically. I can pull what did you spend on Facebook per day historically. I can pull your orders historically, but I can't tie the two together historically. So you have to have the pixel in place. And once the pixel's in place, we need several periods of data, of purchases to start building our CAC models.
1: So the value grows over time.
0: The value grows over time. So, the immediate value is you'll have a CLV churn model very quickly. You can immediately start looking at your performance by channel, your performance by ads. You can do reporting. You can simplify your data management, your data analytics, your reporting. Like I talked to an agency today, spending eight hours a week just doing reporting. I'm like, oh, it'd take you five minutes. I mean, that's money in your hand. Then the CAC will build out over the next couple of months. Probably takes a couple of months generally. And then you'll get an update immediately once we have enough data. And then you can start building out ROAS-based models on your ad platform. You can start making decisions about your product. And so the way we structure it is straight analytics, straight engagement is a per-seat model. Our pricing's up on the website. It's very clear. It's very simple. It's designed to be a shared model so that the D2C uses the seats. They share it with their advertising team, the advertising team, the agency can buy their own seats. They can both see the same data they can use their seats for other customers. So we're just trying to have that kind of model. And then the individual customer analytics as they become available cost a little bit more per customer than the average buying, number of buying customers you have per month. But it comes later as you start getting the value. Makes sense.
1: Well, Brian, this has been fun to talk about. I mean, knowing where and how to spend marketing dollars is more relevant now than I think it's ever been with that cost of customer acquisition being so extremely high. And everybody seems to be running out of ideas in terms of new places to put their money to get the best return on their investment because the traditional channels are just becoming cost prohibitive almost. And anything anybody can do to optimize that is, of course, extremely valuable. So if anybody listening today has some questions, wants to learn more, wants to reach out, where should they go?
0: Well, they certainly go to the website, zinc.com, Z-E-E-N-K.com. Happy to take emails directly from them. They'll see that in the link, and I'm certainly on LinkedIn. You can reach out on LinkedIn also and we're happy to talk with anyone and just explore their problems and see if it's a good fit. If it's not, we give them some advice and, uh, you know, hopefully they're better for it. Hopefully they got some value out of the 45 minutes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, uh, I got some value out of our conversation today. Brian, really appreciate the time and thanks again.
0: All right, Nick. Thank you very much. Thanks.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode
0: with your network.